Web Services. Welcome to the Cloudonaut podcast. We are your hosts, Andreas and Michael Wittig. This podcast is all about AWS. We share our experience using AWS on a daily basis. This is episode number 71 and we are recording this on February the 20, uh, February 21 in 2023. In case you are watching this live, um, feel free to ask your questions in the chat. You can also reach us on uh, LinkedIn, on Mastodon, Twitter, or you can also send us an email with your questions and then we will pick them up uh, next week. And before we start, here's a message from our partners. Are you looking for a new job? As you know, AWS expertise is in high demand. And our partner Demikin, uh, who is one of the largest technical consulting teams and leading Atlassian full service provider in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, and um, they are growing their cloud division and therefore are hiring um, cloud DevOps engineers, cloud architects, and more. Demikin is a remote-first company hiring in Germany and Europe. Uh, and if that sounds interesting to you, you should check out the show notes or the video description for details and apply today. So, Michael, um, I've been working um, together with one of our consulting clients um, in with a with an enterprise network set up on AWS. And uh, I've been running into something that I have not been um, <laughs> solving before. Actually, um, the challenge was um, to make sure that SQS, so the AWS service SQS, is accessible from their internal network. And the special thing about that is that the internal network does not have access to the internet. So from where the machine is running that needs to access SQS, there's no internet connectivity from there. Okay, mm -hmm. because by default, of course, SQS has a public uh, interface, a public uh, API. So yeah, but that doesn't work. So we needed to find another way. And we thought about um, accessing SQS over the VPN connection that we have established, the side-to-side -side connection between the on-premises network and the VPC uh, on AWS. Uh, so we thought about maybe we can use that. And then it uh, turns out um, this is not uh, so simple to uh, to accomplish because so of course so the first idea that comes to mind is you create a VPC endpoint so uh, you create a VPC endpoint for SQS this is um, a so-called interface endpoint so that means um, uh, you get basically private IP addresses from the VPC uh, that you can then uh, talk to. Uh, so they are reachable over the VPN connection um, because they are just IPs from the VPC that's that's working. Uh, that's not working, by the way, for S3 or uh, what's the other one? S3 and DynamoDB. DynamoDB yeah. Those are the gateway endpoints where this is not working out of the box. Um, and um, But yeah, for those interface endpoints, that should work. Um, but then <laughs> the question is, how do you tell a client um, where to find uh, the SQS interface, the VPC endpoints, basically. So um, I can think of actually, so so one idea would be, so I don't know, SQS is something like sqs.eu-west-1.amazonaws.com. So that's probably the, the host name that you need to reach uh, when talking to SQS. So in theory, you could 
just override the DNS entry for that, either in your local DNS server or on the machine itself or something like that, and point that to the IP addresses of the VPC endpoint. That is one idea that came to my mind. Um, then, um, for for some reason, I, um, the the other option that that we were required to do um, is that the customer wanted to use its own domain name to reach SQS, and I wondered, can that really work? So, <laughs> so of course, it does <laughs> not work out of the box because the VPC endpoint, uh, when you talk to that over TLS, uh, so HTTPS connection, of course, the certificate doesn't match the domain name because the certificate that uh, SQS ans or, uh, yeah, is looking for is obviously sqs.amazonaws.com and not something else not any custom uh, domain name that you specify. Um, so what I uh, thought about is, yeah, just place an NLB in front of the VPC endpoint that does the TLS um, unwrapping basically with another uh, certificate. So basically from, our, from the custom domain name. Uh, so tried that. And so actually I didn't, I wasn't sure about <laughs> if that really works at the end. But it seems so, it works. Uh, so I, I tested it and it worked, at least for SQS. So with SQS, you can basically, if you do a request, you set, um, you set the queue URL and you can also then specify basically the, the endpoint, the host name for the service name. And it seems to me like, because those are two different things, so you can specify your custom domain name for the host name you're talking to, but still set the SQS URL to the original URL of your um, SQS queue. Um, this whole thing uh, was working. The only thing that I run into is that, so I tested it from the AWS CLI, and it seems like the AWS CLI is doing some certificate pinning. So they only accept the certificates that are expected from AWS. And now I'm using my own certificates in between, so that doesn't work. So what you can do with the AWS CLI is you can, there's an environment variable called AWS um, CA bundle, where you can basically add your own um, um, authority. Um, and then that works without any errors. Um, so this is a <laughs> really complex solution for, for a problem that maybe shouldn't exist at all because you could just talk to the internet. But um, I wanted just to, to share what is, um, what is possible um, and what, what's maybe interesting to know um, in such a scenario. Um, there's one other idea I came up and I didn't try it, but in theory it should work as well. So, so I've um, been using private API gateways in a similar uh, scenario as well. For, for serverless applications. And I think that would be the other way to do it, to have a private API gateway and then forward the incoming requests to SQS. That should do the trick as well. Um, yeah. I see, Andreas. So there's definitely one, probably a little bit uh, more common scenario where you want to access an AWS service from your private network without going to the internet. And that's, I think mm. possible with the, the endpoints quite easily, but then you had this uh, additional challenge where the name want, or the, they wanted to change or use a different name mm. to talk to SQS basically. Mm. So you had uh, two layers of, of of challenges to solve here. So um, that that's um, but at least it's interesting to know that it's possible. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not I'm not hundred percent um, confident if it works for other services than SQS, but maybe I haven't tested it. 
And yeah, mm -hmm. so if anyone has ever yeah. did something diff uh, similar, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to learn from you, <laughs> from your insights. So yeah, uh, reach out. That would be great. All right, Andreas. So I worked on something um, very different. Um, and I had this question in mind for quite some time. And the, the problem that I, or the question that I had in mind is, how can I launch EC2 uh, on-demand capacity if the spot capacity goes away? So I think a lot of people are familiar with spot instances, right? So this is a super cheap way to run workloads on AWS. But the problem is the spot termination. So when AWS is running out of capacity, they give you a two-minute notice and then they just terminate your instance. So what you want to do is you want to kind of prepare for that situation. And there are a couple of strategies to do this. And what AWS provides us out of the box is the first strategy is spread across many availability zones to kind of lower the chance that there is no capacity available in any of those zones. You also spread across instance types. So the more instance types, the better, because there might be a shortage just in one of them. So you can kind of uh, fall back to the others in that case. And, and those are the two very common uh, strategies. And they are implemented by things like uh, a load, uh, sorry, autoscaling groups and uh, also EC2 fleet and EC2 spot fleet and things like this. So you can have mixed instance policies. I think that's how it's called in the autoscaling group. Um, but still the problem remains is what happens if there is no capacity available? So there's nothing there. So everything uh, is kind of unavailable. So how can I fall back to on-demand capacity, which should be available uh, at least uh, for a higher um, probability? So what we get by AWS is this. There is a strategy where you can set, okay, a baseline capacity that is on-demand. So for example, you can say 50% of my capacity is on-demand and everything else, try to launch it on spot. And the problem here is if spot goes away, you don't, they, they don't grow over this 50% um, uh, limit. So they don't replace spot capacity with on-demand capacity. So there is no uh, like feature available in AWS to do that for you automatically. And there's probably good reason to do that from AWS perspective. Because uh, that's, uh, that's, I mean, spot capacity is cheap because it can be interrupted. And if all of the customers fall back to on-demand in case of a, sh a shortage in spot, then they are running into issues. So that's my, uh, I think, at least my uh, kind of idea why they don't implement this for us. So I was actually thinking about this problem for quite some time and I had different kind of solutions. And this week I discovered, or last week actually, I discovered a very simple solution. And that's what I'm going to share um, with, with you, Andreas, uh, today and with everything else that uh, who is interested. <laughs> Great. Um, so because the problem is I came up with a lot of complicated uh, solutions, <laughs> but the problem here is that it's very hard to test them. So that's why I... I now think I have found something that, that makes uh, a lot more sense. So what we have is we have an autoscaling group that runs a spot capacity and that autoscaling group is autoscaled. So that's our current situation. And now we want to improve that and add an on-demand fallback to that um, a pool of instances. So what you're going to do is first you add a new autoscaling group and this autoscaling group is going to launch on-demand capacity only. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that both uh, scaling groups must report the metrics group in service instances and group desired capacity at a one minute interval. And this is not turned on by default. Uh, so you have to pay for the cloud metric. That's why I think you have to turn it on. Unfortunately, um, it's not available by default, but you can turn it on at least. And then I use a metric math formula um, to calculate the number of on-demand instances that I need 
that are missing uh, in the spot and in the on-demand pool. So what I do here is I take the desired spot uh, number. So this is what should be running in the spot group. I subtract the running spot capacity and then I also subtract the desired on-demand capacity. So this basically gives me how many on-demand instances do I have to add if it's greater than zero or if it's lower than zero, how many instances I have to remove. And this metric, I or I create a CloudWatch alarm uh, using this metric or this metric math expression, and then I trigger a step scaling policy. And in a step scaling policy, you can input a number, and that's the number from our calculation from the metric math. So that's kind of the diff in instances that we need. And then you can execute um, a a certain step. So for example, you can say, if this number is between one and 10, uh, always add two instances or something like this. So you can define the steps and also the adjustment that you want to make in that case. So what I did is I created step scaling policies for the positive um, case or adding capacity also for the negative case. And and then that's that's all you need. Um, it, it, it turns out that it works quite um, nicely. It adjusts quite very quickly. Uh, so within a couple of minutes, so in my case, I created an alarm uh, that waits for um, three, time, three times one minute um, changes. So three minutes plus roughly one minute is the delay that I kind of have um, adjusting to the changes in the spot pool uh, to replace it with on-demand instances. And it works in all directions like scaling out, scaling in, even if the spot pool scales because of load changes. Um, so that's that's the solution, Andreas. Um, I, I'm going to write a blog post about this in the coming days. <laughs> so if you're interested in that stuff, uh, check that out because um, there will be CloudFormation template and stuff like this. So you can, I think, copy that easily yeah. into your own projects. So that, yeah, that sounds interesting. So basically, you set up two auto-scaling groups. One is only spot instances. The other is only on-demand instances. And whenever there are not enough spot instances running in the uh, spot auto-scaling group, you're storing them in the uh, other auto-scaling group for on-demand instances. Yep. And all of that only by using CloudWatch alarms <laughs> and uh, auto-scaling. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the benefit is that there are, I mean, the less moving parts, the, the more stable the solution is. So that's, yeah. I mean, you can do something with Lambda and stuff, but um, I think it's better to use uh, the, the built-in blocks if, if, if they are available. And sure. In this case, it, it turns out quite quite nicely. Yeah. Very cool. I'm very interested uh, or looking forward to the results when, when we deploy that to uh, a larger uh, amount of uh, installations to see. How this is going so this is a very uh, interesting thing for bucket av where we scan um, um, s3 objects for malware where we have a fleet of easy two instances and of course we want to have the um, uh, uh, highly available but still very cost effective <laughs> way to spin up our easy two instances yeah. and that sounds interesting um, okay um, so uh, there's a question in the chat so sanku writes um, whether you think that this is also possible with ecs um, and Fargate, so Fargate Spot and Fargate uh, On Demand. Do you think that's possible with that as well? So basically you would there create two, EC, two ECS services and then basically similar uh, CloudWatch alarms. And But about the scaling possibilities, is there something like the step scaling in ECS as well? I don't remember that. That, fully that, that works that the same. I'm not scaling. sure how that could work, but uh, you might need a lambda function, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Okay. If that, yeah. 
we need to figure that out. <laughs> that's that's a very good question. <laughs> Thanks for that, thank you. Um, okay, yeah. So I have um, I have one um, one more topic, and it's uh, about basically. I think actually it is about Fargate Spot, <laughs> which fits quite nicely. Um, the thing is, um, so I've been writing documentation for Marboard and I've basically testing all the integrations that Marboard provides. So all the parts of your AWS account that Marboard is uh, monitoring. And one of them is Fargate Spot. And uh, so I thought about um, how can we make sure that uh, we get notified about uh, spot interruptions and basically things go wrong because we run tasks on Fargate Spot and not Spot uh, On Demand. And uh, what I found out is there are basically three um, events, event bridge events that you can uh, listen to. And um, you, you can use them to get notified about all things that can go wrong with your uh, Fargate uh, spot tasks. So um, there's one thing and there's the ECS task state change events that basically notify you about uh, yeah, whenever something changes uh, um, for the task. And there is um, something called um, the stop code where you get um, a spot interruption uh, when Fargate decides it needs to, to or it needs to interrupt your task because there's no more capacity available. And then you get also a termination notice as soon as Fargate uh, really terminated uh, the container or the task for you. So if you monitor for those, you can get notified about uh, tasks that get um, interrupted and terminated because of capacity um, um, of the spot market. And, and then there is one more uh, interesting thing, which is the ECS service. So, so if you use an ECS service to launch Fargate spot tasks, the, the service will automatically try to replace the failed or the interrupted uh, spot tasks. So that's, that's quite cool, same as with the auto-scaling. And um, uh, the thing here is it, it's possible that it's not able to do so, that the service cannot bring up a new task because there's no capacity left. And so what I'm monitoring here is the service task placement failure. And there's a special reason, which is called resource Fargate, which then, which then tells me that uh, Fargate could not start uh, the task because there's no capacity with the chosen um, spot um, yeah, mode available. So by monitoring those three things, I can make sure that uh, I'm notified about uh, things going wrong with uh, Fargate spot. And the reason why I'm so interested in that, besides Marwood, is that we are running our Mastodon instance on Fargate spot containers because we wanted to come up with a um, low-cost <laughs> solution to run um, this Mastodon instance on, on Fargate. Um, so that's why I'm specially uh, into that. But, but that uh, might topic. be like, Andreas, <laughs> a good example to actually try implementing this um, auto-scaling, like two services, yeah, on-demand failover. The on-demand failover. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's good. Okay, <laughs> so I, I I tried to do that, <laughs> and I tried to get that uh, up and running. Yeah. So by the way, there is um, uh, Vidix slash Mastodon uh, on AWS on GitHub, which is um, infrastructure as code templates that you can just spin up with the click of a button to deploy a Mastodon instance um, running on Fargate to your AWS account. In case you're interested in that. Okay, Michael. Um, so. That's all I have on my list uh, for this episode. Anything else? So one, one thing to add, Andreas, regarding the monitoring, Fargate spot monitoring, because I like I, I noticed that you investigate those this, this area and, and we, I think, understand it now better than before. But what I wanted to achieve is 
um, because um, the spot interruption is is something that the ECS service catches, right? So the, basically the ECS service takes care of that. So once the ECS service receives such an interruption and notice, it knows that uh, some capacity will be removed in the near future. N- near future, that's roughly two minutes. So it can act on that. Um, but if you launch a task, like just a plain task outside of an ECS service, then things are a little bit different. And we had the same question for uh, what happens when a task is terminated. This is like, and the code is essential container exited or something like that. Um, so my question was, okay, how can I do this for a, serv- a tasks that are not launched by a service and only when the exit code is not zero and things like that? And it turns out this is all possible, but it's not so easy to actually figure out if a task is part of a service or not. And the one information that you need to figure that out is that when you launch a task, you can put a task into a so-called group. And if the group name starts with service cologne, you know it is launched by an ECS service. Because this is kind of, the namespace service cologne is kind of, it is like a protected namespace. You cannot launch a task in a, and set a group to service cologne something. That's not allowed. Then you get an, an error from the API back. So this is only allowed by the ECS service. And that's how you can figure out if something runs in um, a service. And with the new event bridge filter um, possibilities, we have prefix, uh, prefix filters. So you can easily then filter out um, the events that are um, like for tasks that are not part or not launched by a service. Yeah, so that was kind of uh, additional like information that I uh, needed for my <laughs> use case that kind of builds on top of what you all uh, told yeah. us, Andreas. And if you want to look into the code, so uh, as it always a little bit difficult to explain that uh, in words, so we have the code to share. Yeah. I will put a link to the show notes and uh, you can check that out there. Um, it's uh, uh, on our open source uh, Terraform templates or CloudFormation templates. So you can check that out there. Okay, Michael, um, I'd say that's it. Right. We'll be back next week. Um, subscribe to our newsletter, podcast, or YouTube channel to make sure you're not missing the upcoming shows. We're also looking forward to hear your feedback. So hello at cloudonout.io or find us on LinkedIn or Mastodon. Yeah, besides that, Andreas, we want to thank our supporters uh, who make this show possible. And if you are a fan of our show, consider supporting our work. Uh, there are uh, like one-time and also recurring donation options available. You will find the links and the infos in, in the show notes as well. So thank you very much. Um, and um, we will see us uh, next week. Right, Andreas? Yes, absolutely. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.